playoffs nfl playoffs in fact thank you for joining us this is the regulators podcast i am your host waldo waldy as always it is great to be talking about nfl playoffs we made it through all 256 games in the regular season now it's time for the first time in nfl history to have six different games on wild card weekend obviously only one bye this week we're going to go into all the games, all the breakdowns, but there's some other NFL action that we want to discuss, some other things we want to get into before we go into all the point spreads and who we like in this week's playoff matchups. Um, to get started right off the bat, I know some of you were actually expecting our episode to drop yesterday. Uh, we were kind of in the middle of doing our podcast yesterday. I say we, me, I talk about myself and multiple people. Um, but we were working on the podcast yesterday and the events that were unfolding around the United States just kind of put a kibosh on that and we just set that aside for the moment. This is never going to be a political show. We don't get into politics on our brand page. You know, we have personal pages and there are plenty of people who do those things and get into those things and I'm sure you can find, uh outlets for for all of that stuff we are a sports show however at the same time given the gravity of what was going on yesterday we didn't feel i didn't feel uh in the best spirits to start giving out stats and talking about betting lines for a football game this upcoming weekend but today is a new day and we are going to move forward and talk about all things nfl starting with some of the recent transactions that have happened as of late so one of those is the Houston Texans have hired Nick Casario as their new GM. He is coming over from the New England Patriots. Now, he's been with the Patriots since 2001, um, but he's been their director of player personnel since 2008, which coincidentally is when Scott Pioli left to go over to Kansas City and get that franchise turned around. So Pioli obviously is known in a lot of circles for what he did with New England, and then he moved on from there. And this is the person who took his place. So Nick Casario uh, has a great resume and obviously comes from a winning organization. He was part of all of those Super Bowls that they won in New England. And now he is in Houston with the Texans. I know there has been some talk already about Deshaun Watson supposedly requesting a trade. And I want to break this down in, in several aspects. So number one, if you were Deshaun Watson, wouldn't you want to trade? I mean, that's that. But second of all, I don't know that I believe that. I think that it's all just conjecture. And the first report that I saw of that came from a known notorious BS account that just puts garbage out every year and sees who will run with it. So regardless of whether it's actually happened or he's thinking about requesting a trade or whatever, um, I don't think that that would happen in any way, shape, or form. And I'm telling you one thing, speaking of Nick Casario, I think he is uh, hitting reject on every single one of those incoming phone calls. So I don't think Deshaun Watson is going anywhere. And uh, again, unless there's some kind of ridiculous four number one picks, 
And I know that sounds absurd, but that's how absurd a new GM letting his franchise quarterback out of the building would be. So I, I don't think Deshaun's going anywhere. But having said that, I think the Texans got a good hire with uh, Casario, and we'll see moving forward who he finds to be the head coach and where they go from there. Now, speaking about bullshit things we see on Twitter, you know, I don't think people realize that there are like three days a year that the fake Twitter accounts live for. It's like their fucking Christmas, their New Year's, everything. And one of those days is Black Monday. Black Monday, for those who aren't familiar, is the first Monday after the end of the regular season in the NFL. And what usually happens is that's the day that a lot of coaches get released. So, for example, Adam Gase. It was a foregone conclusion. Everybody all season expected him to be gone. There were reports the week leading up to the last game that that's it. After that game, he's out. But then on Monday, it becomes official. You know, they they officially part ways and say, all right, you know, we're moving on. Um, Same thing with Doug Marone in Jacksonville and other things. So when you have these opportunities, you see these accounts that will try to pretend like they're Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport. They just grab their profile picture and they try to come up with a username that sounds very similar. Um, and they they use the heading to, to try to get fake news out there and mislead people just to get clout or to get people to put out fake information. And we know about this, as a lot of people do, and we see it coming every year. So we had actually tweeted out on Monday morning when we started seeing some of these fake bullshit accounts pop off. And we were like, guys, the fake accounts are out in full force. Do not buy into this because we would hate to see more national reporters and media getting embarrassed like they do every year. What happens not even an hour after that? ESPN has an article up, Bleacher Report has an article, Pro Football Talk, everybody's putting articles on information that came from supposedly Adam Schefter, and you go to Adam Schefter's timeline, which takes like five seconds, and none of this stuff is there. None of this information is there. And the worst of it is the ESPN article, because Adam Schefter literally works for fucking ESPN. ESPN drafts an article about a coach being fired writes the article, posts it, everybody runs with it. They couldn't call down the fucking hall and say, hey, Adam, is this shit true? This is like if Khloe Kardashian is on Twitter, sees that Kim is having another baby, and starts blasting it out to her socials before yelling down the room or calling Kim wherever she is. And yes, I loathe myself for making a Kardashian reference right now as we're talking about this. But the point remains, how the fuck does ESPN put up an article with information that's based on an employee of theirs without checking with the actual fucking employee. Are you kidding me? So, needless to say, all kinds of shit got out there. It got really ridiculous, and a lot of national media people got exposed, and this happens all the time. And then you've got people like myself, people that are around the world that are grinding and trying to... uh, just put information together about sports and stuff that aren't getting paid millions of dollars or anything. And we see through this shit. Like, we know this is coming, and we see it for what it is, and we know that it's fake. But yet, the powers that be at the worldwide leader in sports and all these other places just 
they have no quality control. Nobody's on top of this shit. So I don't know. That's that's my little soapbox moment for this show. But come on, guys, do better. Do better. Let's move on, though. Um, along with the whole fake tweets and things like that, just as much as there are fake tweets, there are a lot of things out there that are misleading at best, but other than that, that are sometimes manipulation being done. And what I mean specifically is there's already tons of draft rumors coming out for the 2021 draft is... The Dolphins going to take another quarterback at three? Are the Jets going to take a lineman? Are they going to trade it to Detroit? Are they this and that? And like, nobody really fucking knows. I mean, yeah, it's a 99.9% certainty that Trevor Lawrence goes number one to the Jaguars. That's pretty much a foregone conclusion. But outside of that, it's a total crapshoot. And what people don't understand is that there are actual reporters There are actual people who work for the media who are getting texts and getting information from people who work within organizations, be it the Falcons, the Packers, the Patriots, whoever it is, who are saying, hey, we're thinking about moving this pick or we're thinking about doing this. You can't quote me, but this is what we're doing. And then the media runs with it, but what they don't understand is they're being used as pawns because that team wants other teams to think that they're going to do this. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all complete garbage. So it's just ridiculous that these mainstream media accounts are doing all these mocks and all this information that they heard from this guy. I mean, I saw one account in particular this week that literally mocked the same player to three different teams in the past week. Mocked him to Washington, mocked him to Atlanta, mocked him to another team over here. Like, the same person. I mean, yeah, sure, if you do 50 mocks, then sooner or later you got to hit on one, right? And then you can sit there draft night and try to retweet that shit as separate individual tweets and say, oh, see, I called it. Let me tell you something. Mock drafts are like looking at a room full of kindergartners and trying to guess what their SAT score is going to be. At the end of the day, it's all hot takes and rumor mongering and it's all bullshit and just you need to understand like what's happening with all of the draft rumors because I guarantee you, here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to buy into it. You're going to retweet it. You're going to comment. Oh, Team X is going to do this. They're thinking about moving up, moving down. They're taking this guy, etc., etc. And then this is what you're going to be singing on draft night. Now, having said all of that, we do one mock draft and one mock draft only right before the draft, and it's not the hyperbole that everybody else does. We do it more as something for fun, but having said that, if you've listened to this show, if you know who Uncle Jay is, the J-Man himself, he has never been out-mocked. Listen to me. In the world, you look at the best experts, the Mel Kuypers, the Mike Mayocks, the Daniel Jeremiahs, nobody has outmocked Justin Snyder ever. I have the receipts. I can go back years. And if you listen to us last year, guess who had the Packers taking a quarterback, taking Jordan Love in the first round? Oh, that's right. 
Justin Snyder did with the Regulators podcast. He is the only person who has outmocked everybody. And I guarantee you, his mock this year is going to be nothing different. He's going to outmock everybody else. And nobody's perfect. Nobody can guess these things. Nobody even goes 50%. But if you go even a third, if you're even spot on on a lot of them, then you're doing a pretty damn good job. And that's why we know it's a crapshoot, but I'm telling you, I will put him up against anybody. And I'm really thinking about doing some kind of cash contest or something like that. If you guys think that you can outmock Justin, then hats off to you and, and we'll open it up for a competition. But having said that, tune in for our mock draft that'll come probably the week before the draft. It'll be our one and only. It's something we do just for fun. We don't have, you know, the phone number to some guy at the Texans who's using us to put information out. We're just going to look at the teams, look at what their needs are, and think what would make the most sense. So, having said that, let's move on from that. I know a lot has been talked about this week about the whole Eagles-Washington football game and what a disgrace it was and... I don't want to just keep beating a dead horse, so I'm not going to delve into that too much. Um, but it is interesting to see the Eagles trying to do a little bit of damage control now after the fact. And nobody was mad at Peterson, and they were just trying to get conversation of what was happening. I think horseshit. I think everybody was pissed. Miles Sanders said nobody liked it. Nobody liked when uh, Sudfeld went in there, when Peterson made that call. And obviously we know that Peterson obviously had the the blessing that he was returning for another season before he did what he did this past weekend. Um, but having said all of that, I think the locker room is gone. I don't know how you try to get everybody back on the same page, but I know that they're $70 million over the cap for next year, so that locker room is going to look hella different regardless. And I think that if you want to buy a draft pick, this is the year to do it with the Eagles and with the Saints. So if you call them up and say, oh, you have salary cap problems. Uh, let's see, who do you got that you'd really need someone to eat their salary cap? I'll tell you what, we'll eat the cap, give us a fourth round pick. Done. It's going to happen. So the Eagles are going to look completely different next year. We'll see how everything shakes up. But... uh definitely an ugly, ugly situation what transpired last weekend into what had to be the last Sunday night football game that we watched of the regular season. But let's talk about another organization that kind of wor worries me. So Shad Khan has made comments about the incoming staff in the front office that he's going to put in place with the Jaguars. And he said that he's keeping roster control. He wants the GM and the head coach to know that. And for me, that's that's a yikes. That's a like, I mean, I know that Shad Khan is like a quarterback guru. I know that he's spent 20 years as a player scout. And oh, wait, that's not him. He's a billionaire owner. So stay the fuck in your office. Write the checks. Break out a box of, of uh, new scotch when we have a good day and, and stay out of people's way. Like that's I hate owners who get over-involved like that in football operations and to say that you're going to have the final say on anything football-related at all is just dumb. And it's not like you're Al Davis, rest in peace, um, who came up 
cutting his teeth on everything and was the head of the AFL and understood everything football related. You're not that person. And even him, I thought he should have taken a step back way more than, than he should. But this idea that Shad Khan is going to be so involved, not that he's going to be hugely involved in the day-to-day, but just the fact that he might say, no, I want us to take this player in the draft. Like, what? Then why are you hiring people to micromanage them to do something that, it, like, just make yourself the GM then. You, if you can't do it because you're not a general manager of a football team, then don't get involved when people are cooking dinner. Like, just don't do that. So that's something that worries me. That's why I talked about previously how I thought the Texans job was way more alluring to me, even though I know they don't have a lot of draft capital right now. Having Deshaun Watson is the number one for me. And yes, I get that the Jaguars are going to get Trevor Lawrence, but with the rest of the organization and everything else involved, I don't know. That just that worries me a little bit. In other front office news, John Elway was promoted to season ticket holder. So it was first announced that he would step down as GM and then quickly followed up that he was stepping down as GM so he could take another role as president of football operations, which to me just seems like a respectful way to find something for him to do somewhere else in the building uh, because he is John Elway and he is who he is. But I do not anticipate that he will have too much involvement uh, in player personnel decisions and all of that other thing stuff that's going on moving forward so they'll be in a search for a new gm as well as many as well as other teams that are obviously trying to fill those spots by the time this broadcast who knows maybe eric b is a head coach somewhere i know that the jets have interviewed marvin lewis as have other teams there's a lot of coaches that have requests in i know jason garrett has had a request in with the chargers not sure if that interview happened yet and lots of moving pieces so probably by this time next week we'll have some of our coaching dominoes will start to fall some of the gm spots things like that and we'll start to kind of see where these teams are starting to take shape and where uh what direction they're going in so before we get into all of the nfl wild card weekend super wild card weekend um breakdowns I need to have a come-to-Jesus moment with some of y'all. And I was biting my tongue earlier in the week when I saw some of the usual Twitter nonsense going on. But then it it, it reached a new level. And some of y'all really do need Jesus. um, Because it amazes me how quick we are as a society and as a people to give up on things. Y'all give up way too easily on yourselves, on others, on situations, and it's really, really disgusting, and it's gotten really bad. But what's amazing to me is even in the things we love, so we love our football teams, we love our sports teams, and the things that we cheer for, that we spend money for, and all of a sudden, though, if it's not success out the gate, that's it. Cut it. Get rid of everybody. Fire the GM. Fire the head coach. Get rid of the quarterback. Everybody. It doesn't matter. And it's the equivalent of a 12-year-old 
rage quitting in a game of Madden by the first quarter when they're down 14 to nothing. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And what happens is when you want everybody fired like that, what you get is the Cleveland Browns. No disrespect to the Browns. Since Belichick left the Browns in the last 20 years, they've had 12 coaches in 20 years. That's not even an average of two seasons per coach. That's it. Season, season and a half done. Season, season and a half done. That's it. Because everybody's so impatient. And they don't understand that we talk... You hear people say all the time, Rome wasn't built in a day. Well, neither was championship fucking football. You can't expect everybody to come in and turn things around. Everybody wants what happened with uh, the Dolphins when they were 1-15 and and then Sperano came in and they went 11-5 and and made the playoffs. Everybody wants what happened to the Atlanta Falcons who I think won three games the year before. Mike Smith comes in and all of a sudden they turn it around and they win like 10 more games the next year. You know what happened to both of those guys? They are no longer coaching and one of them unfortunately has passed away. Rest in peace Tony Sperano. So... None of those seasons amounted to anything. So this idea that we want the get-rich-quick scheme of our NFL teams is just bullshit. And if you want it, if you want it the right way, if you want what the Patriots have, if you want what the Packers had, if you want what the Steelers had for years, do you understand? Like I can count on one hand. One hand. How many Steelers head coaches there have been all time? On one fucking hand. Because they stay the course. And you know what? Tomlin has never had a losing season. And he was one of the youngest head coaches coming in. And that team is always competitive. Year in and year out. And they always, come December, come January, towards the end, they give themselves a chance. You have to build foundations. And you have to build and build and build pieces. It's just like personal relationships that you have with someone. Whether you're married. Whether it's a working relationship. Whether it's a friendship. If you let it go to shit or you don't invest in it. Then there's not going to be anything there. And I'm not trying to go all Dr. Phil on everybody. But Jesus man. Y'all need to calm down. And just take a deep breath. And everything is going to be okay and stop being the angry mob with pitchforks that wants to get rid of every player who doesn't become a world beater in the first 10 games of their career. So let's take a deep breath. Let's build on things for tomorrow. Try to make things better. And let's look forward to Super Wild Card Weekend. So Super Wild Card Weekend. First game that we have on Saturday, 105 p.m. on CBS, is the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Buffalo Bills are number two in offense, and if you watch that Dolphins-Bills game week 17, you understand the firepower that the Bills have. They score 31.3 points per game, which again is number two in the league, They average 396 yards per game of offense, which is tied for second in the league. They're number one in the NFL at scoring percentage of their drives. So when they have the ball, they score at a higher rate than anybody else in the NFL. They're the number one third down offense. They convert third downs. They keep the ball moving. 
They wear you down and continue to score on you. Defensively, they have forced 26 turnovers, which is tied for third in the league. Now, Josh Allen, we know what he started out as. Very inconsistent his first couple of years, which is, again, everything we just talked about. Y'all would have done giving up on Josh Allen. He's a bum. Get rid of him. And don't get me wrong. I was not a huge Josh Allen believer. I was not someone saying, no, no, he's going to be amazing. I was just like, mm, I don't know. Sometimes he looks like he has it. Other times he doesn't. But obviously, he has shown this year who he is. He is in the MVP conversation, which obviously he shouldn't win it. And he didn't. He won't. Like, that's it's a dumb conversation. But even the fact that he's in the conversation after the last two years of his career has shown what huge leaps he has made. And you have patience, you build around him, you go get him a number one fucking wide receiver like Stefan Diggs, look at the world of difference it makes. And that's another thing that everybody wants to tear players down and talk about, oh, well, they were only good here because they had this coach or this quarterback or these wide receivers to throw to. It's a team fucking game. There are... 53 active players on the roster. There's tons of coaches. There's so many decisions and chess being played on any given Sunday. You have no idea the level of things that go into all of these things, but it's, oh, well, he can only play well if he has this situation or that situation. Like, Listen, the Bills deserve every bit of credit for what they have built in Buffalo. They are going to be a good team for years to come, and part of that reason is is Josh Allen and his everything that he's been able to do this year hats off to him and he's obviously going to look to build on it Saturday as he takes on the Indianapolis Colts and another big part of that success is Brian Dable you talk about someone who was the offensive coordinator for the Patriots when they had that miraculous comeback against the Falcons in the Super Bowl you talk about someone who was Tua Tungavailoa's coordinator in Alabama when they won the national championship game against Georgia. You talk about someone who now in the NFL has built a very, very deadly offense that has Josh Allen as the centerpiece of that offense. He is a big part of that success as well with the Buffalo Bills. But let's not discount the Indianapolis Colts, who have also come a a long way this season. Jonathan Taylor in week 17 had 253 yards rushing. That's that's nothing to scoff at. He had 1,169 yards on the season. Phillip Rivers, 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, completing 68% of his passes. Like, Phillip Rivers is, we've talked about it all season. He has yet to be the Phillip Rivers that we're afraid of him being where he throws three interceptions and just, you know, becomes this horrific gunslinger uh, quarterback who is going to put his team in trouble. He's not doing that, and he's playing really well. And we just talked about Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor's 92.3% catch rate is number one in the NFL. Number one. And you know who the number one wide receiver with catch rate is? Is McKenzie with the Buffalo Bills. He has, we talk about, you know, Stefan Diggs, but 
McKenzie is is also no slouch, and he's a great weapon that the Buffalo Bills have there and really coming into his own. I think he had three touchdowns last week, a special teams, a receiving, uh, might have been two receiving touchdowns. But uh, this is going to be a really, really good game. Now, the Bills are favored by 6.5 in this game. I think the Bills get it done, but I like the Colts to cover the 6.5. I think this is going to be an excellent game. But the Colts mixed with their defense, which is decent. Uh, the Colts are 8th in yards. They're 10th in points allowed. And they're number 5 in turnovers. So their defense is good. I know they're going up against the number 2 offense in the NFL. But again, they can also score too. So the Colts average 28.2 points per game. That's only 3 less than the 31.3 points Per game that the Bills are putting up. So the Colts score points. So add that with their defense, which is better than what Buffalo's defense is, and I think it'll be a closer game. So I like the Bills in this one, but I like the Colts to cover the six and a half. The weather's also not looking like it's going to be great. It'll be in the 30s. It's Orchard Park. The weather will be kind of nasty. So It'll be a it'll be a fun game to watch. I think that it'll be uh, what we like to call old school football. And uh, we'll see who wants to go sock some people in the mouth. But after that game, at 4.40, you switch over to Fox, Eastern Times, obviously I'm giving you. You have the Rams, who snuck into the playoffs, taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the Seattle Seahawks are favored by 3.5 in this game. This game's going to get very interesting. I like the Rams to cover the 3.5 in this game. I don't trust the Seahawks' defense. We know that Russ can cook. Russell Wilson has 40 touchdowns to 13 interceptions, 69% completion rating this year. But I think that Russ has dialed it down a notch. I don't know if it's play calling. I don't know if someone talked to him. I don't know if it's Russ inside his own head. But here's something I went and looked back at. So through the first eight games of the season, first half of the season, Russell Wilson had... 28 touchdowns to 8 interceptions. In the last 8 games of the season, he had only 12 touchdowns to 5 interceptions. So, less than half of the touchdowns that he threw in the first part of the year. And in that first half of the year, he had 2,541 yards through the first 8 games. Last half, only 1,671 yards. So, I don't know if he's pushing the envelope as much as he was earlier in the season, uh, but he's going to need to against the Rams. Now, Seattle's number eight in points forced in the NFL, and as much as Russ can cook, we also know that he gets sacked, and he gets sacked a lot. His 47 sacks are third worst in the NFL. Um, that's something that he cannot do with this Rams defensive front. As far as running the ball, the Seattle Seahawks, 4.8 yards per carry is fifth in the league. Uh, Carson, Chris Carson was limited in practice this week, but he should be a full go from everything we understand. He's averaged 88 yards per game over the last five yards excuse me, last five games. DJ Dallas should be good to go. Uh, Hyde should be back. So they have a full arsenal there 
as far as the running game. But Russ is going to have to take care of the football, and he's going to have to push the envelope a little bit. On the Rams' side of the ball, and this is why I, I think the Rams stay competitive in this game, is they have the number one scoring defense in the NFL. They are number two in sacks, which we just talked about Russ being the third most sacked quarterback in the NFL. So Aaron Donald is going to be a headache all day for the Seattle Seahawks. Look for those quick screens. Look for Russ to try to get rid of the ball as quick as he can um, because that front seven is going to be in his face all day long. I think that Brandon Staley and McVay need to script their best game that they have ever come up with. I think they're going to need everything they have in their bag and they're going to have to have a masterpiece against their NFC West rivals to try to pull off uh, something special here against the Seahawks in Seattle. On the offensive side of the ball for the Rams, they have 25 giveaways, which is just too much. And you can't give the ball back to Russ, especially on a short field. They have to take care of the football. We know that Goff had surgery to repair uh, an issue with his right thumb. He was working out and it remains to be seen if he'll be a go it is planned for him to be the starting quarterback but obviously that's something we'll have to look at uh closer to kickoff i think from the Rams side they need to get cam Akers involved early get cooper cup involved early um they need to attack 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 and don't look back because the seattle pass defense is suspect as fuck they are the worst pass defense in the nfl they had just been squeaked out in week 17 to drop to the second worst but they're the worst pass defense in the nfl and the rams have to try to take advantage of that because seattle is going to score points even though i understand how great the rams defense is and they're the number one scoring defense i get that but Russ always has that potential to go yard on you, so you need to score points. Field goals aren't going to cut it. Um, I like the Rams to keep it close, but I think that the Seahawks probably get it done. Either way, as far as bets go, I'm only putting my money on the Rams to cover the 3.5. Now let's talk about the night game. So Saturday night, NBC, 8-15, we're going to get the Bucks and the Washington football team. The Bucks are favored by 8.5 in this game. I would love to be wrong, but I'm taking the 8.5. I'm taking the Bucks in this one. And if Washington's able to pull up off a miracle, then God bless them because Alex Smith was the comeback player of the year the second that he stepped on a football field this year. Now let's talk about the defense for Washington. They're number four in points allowed. They're the fourth best scoring defense in the league. They're number two in pass defense, and they're number seven in turnovers. Um, offensively is where you have the problem. They give up the second most sacks in the NFL, so that's going to be a problem for Alex Smith. And I know that he's 5-1 and one in his games, and it's been a remarkable story, but they need to protect Alex. They need to give him time, and... They need to find a way to get those 50-50 balls to Scary Terry down there because that's what will give them an opportunity to stay relevant in this game. Defensively, 
they have to get after Tom. We know that Tom Brady does not like being hit. His entire career, you get in his face, you knock his dick in the dirt, you hit him a couple of times, and he is going to be off. That's just Tom. That's just who he is. Nobody likes pressure in their face, but Tom, more than anybody, does not like it. So, I think you can't turn the ball over on offense, which is a problem for the Washington football team. 13.1% turnover rate on their offensive drives. That's way too high. They have to take care of the football. But it's going to be an uphill battle. I like the Bucks to cover the spread. And uh, let's talk about the Buccaneers. Tom Brady is playing amazing this year. 40 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, completing 66% of his passes. I'm not sure if he's going to have Mike Evans at his disposal this week, but if not, he's got plenty of other players and skilled players on that team. And anybody who talks about the embarrassment of riches that the Buccaneers have, and they do, don't get me wrong, but don't you dare discredit Tom Brady, okay? I'm sick of the people saying, oh yeah, but Brady's got all those weapons. Really? Do you talk that same shit about Patrick Mahomes, who has Travis Kelsey, who has more receiving yards than most wide receivers? Do you talk that same shit about Tyreek Hill, who's got just as many touchdowns as anybody else? Do you talk about all the skill players that everybody else has? No. You just say that because it's Brady, and we don't like Brady, so we all pile in on him, and it's fun, and yeah, I, I get it. But you know what? All the credit in the world to Tom Brady and what he's doing at his age, and I'll have you know, Tom Brady's intended average air yard per throw is 9.1 yards, which is number one in the NFL, and it's not even close. Tom Brady is throwing the ball deeper down the field at his age than any other quarterback in the NFL. Tom Brady is pushing the ball down the field further than anybody else and still putting up the numbers that he is putting up, still throwing for 40 touchdowns to only 12 interceptions. So let's give credit where credit's due. They have a great offense. They're scoring almost 31 points per game, third best uh, offense in the NFL. Defensively, they're the number eight scoring defense in the league, so they're still top 10. They have 48 sacks on the year, which is good for fourth in the NFL, and they force the second most pressure in the NFL. So they keep the other opposing quarterbacks under pressure, which we talked about is going to be a problem for Washington, which is why I think the Bucks just completely thrash Washington. I think Washington has a bright future. You get a good quarterback in there, and there is a lot to look forward to with Washington football. But I think they get bounced out of the playoffs by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this weekend. Let's talk about Sunday games, though. Sunday at 105, our first game, which will be on ABC and ESPN, is the Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans. I am excited for this game. I am so fucking stoked for this game. Now, the Ravens are actually favored by three points. They are the road favorite in this game by three points, which I kind of don't understand, but I kind of do. Um, I like the Titans to cover the three. I don't know if they're going to win. 
but I like them to cover the three. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be an awesome game, probably the best game that we get all weekend. We know that Derrick Henry can ball 126.7 yards per game, which is obviously number one in the league. Derrick Henry's 1,073 yards after contact this year would be good for fourth best in the NFL as a running back. Like, if we took just his yards after contact, it would still make him the fourth highest rusher in the NFL. Instead, as a total, obviously he broke 2K and is the rushing king this year, and it's it's not even close. But, outside of Derrick Henry going God mode and having 34 broken tackles this year, which is best in the league, I think that there are very few running backs that you can fit in that category with a Derrick Henry. Maybe uh, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook. These are the guys that are trying to bring that argument back of the value of the running back, but it's only very specific running backs, and that's a very, very small crowd. Outside of that, you don't see running backs getting those huge contracts, and there's a reason why. But I'm looking forward to this game and seeing if Henry can do what he does on a very big stage. The Tennessee Titans have uh, the fourth best scoring offense in the NFL. They average 30.7 points per game. On defense, this is where we know there's a problem. So they've allowed 27.4 points per game, which is ninth worst in the league. Um, Their defense is just, it's not good. We know it hasn't been good all year. That's their Achilles heel. Offensively, sure, 396 yards per game, which is second best in the league. They're tied for second best in the league. Defensively, not not good. Offense makes it better because they have the second fewest turnovers in the league. They don't really turn the ball over. And Ryan Tannehill is a big part of that. He's smart with the football, and his QBR is fourth best in the league. He's got 33 touchdowns to only seven interceptions. And that bomb that he threw last week to A.J. Brown to get them for the final field goal, a guy that wasn't even on the team a week previous and doinks it in, which we talked about that field goal. We talked about how scary it was with their special teams going into the playoffs and they might need to win a game by a field goal. What were they going to do? So they were able to get the win and obviously secure their division and get the home playoff game. But that bomb from Tannehill, oof. And it's it shows the lack of confidence that Vrabel has in Tannehill to dial up that play and just take that deep shot like that. They had timeouts. They had time on the clock. They could keep moving the ball down the field. But no, he he took that shot. He was very aggressive. And uh, I think that Tannehill is going to be ready to play come Sunday. Now, on the Ravens side of the ball, you've got the number one blitzing team. Now, this is where the Ravens have to be careful. Because if they dial up that blitz the way that I know they will, and they continue to come after Tannehill, he's got A.J. Brown, he's got Corey Davis, he's got Jonu Smith, he's got some really, really good wide receivers 
that are going to get some 50-50 balls, that are going to get open on man coverage. So if you leave those guys out on islands by themselves all day, I promise you, you're going to regret it. So the Ravens are going to have to be creative and they're going to have to figure out how to time their blitzes and when to use them best because they're not going to be able to just blitz Tannehill uh, without retribution all day long. Um, Offensively, for the Ravens, their 5.5 yards per carry is number one in the NFL, and it's ironic because number two is the Tennessee Titans at 5.2 yards per carry. So you've got literally the two best, uh, most efficient running games in the NFL are taking on each other this Sunday, and it'll be really good to see who comes out on top. The Ravens offensively are scoring 29.3 points per game. I think that's 7th best in the NFL. Uh, But we know their defense is good. They have the number 2 scoring defense in the league. And quietly, we just talked about the running games. The Baltimore Ravens have amassed over 6,300 rushing yards in the last two years. That's never been done in NFL history. They broke the all-time single-season rushing record last year in 2019, and they just built upon that this year. 6,300 rushing yards over two seasons is just disgusting. But what I really want to see in this game is I want to see Lamar put the cape on. I want to see the MVP Lamar. I want to see the Lamar that went 14-2 and last year, unanimous MVP, and not the Lamar that lost in the playoffs last year to these same Tennessee Titans. I want to see retribution. I don't know if they win, um, but I want to see I want to see Lamar with the cape. I want to see Superman. So hopefully that's the Lamar we get. I think this will be an excellent game. Lots of smash mouth football running the ball down people's throats and Lamar and Tannehill can spin it as well. So, let's see what happens. Now, I wish I could say that I'm as excited for this next game uh, at 440 Eastern on CBS. And that is the Bears and the Saints game. I don't know what to expect out of this game. The Saints are favored by 9.5 points. I like the Bears to cover the 9.5. But I don't know if they have what it takes to put it on the New Orleans Saints who are going to be at home playing in their house where they do so well in the playoffs. I know that it's not the normal season where you have a full packed house there, but nevertheless, I think the Saints are probably going to get this one done. They average 30.1 points per game offensively, which is the fifth best in the league. They also have the fifth best scoring defense in the National Football League. So, They've forced 26 turnovers, which is tied for third in the league. And they beat Chicago earlier in the year, 26-23 in that overtime game when Nick Foles was the quarterback. But now, obviously, they are facing Mitch Trubisky. As far as the Saints quarterback, Drew Brees, obviously back in, feeling himself 24 touchdowns and 6 interceptions this year even though he missed some games, so that's not a full season's worth of stats for him. He is completing 71% of his passes, which we know is nothing new. We also know he loves to short dink and dunk to Alvin Kamara, which Kamara should be ready 
for the game on Sunday. Obviously, he missed out last week due to being placed on the COVID list, but he is participating in practice through a device they set up for him to watch virtually, and um, he's watching practice and walkthroughs right now. He will not be able to practice all the way through Saturday, but he's getting prepared and learning the game plan, so the idea is that he will be ready to go on Sunday and play for the Saints, which is obviously very huge for them. On the Bears' side of the football, this is one of the biggest games of Mitch Trubisky's life. Uh, I think this is a big game for both Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy. Mitch Trubisky this year has got 16 touchdowns to 8 interceptions, completing 67% of his passes. This is... uh, this, one, this one's huge for Mitch. I feel like of all the quarterbacks who have pressure on them going into this weekend, I think none is bigger than Mitch Trubisky. You talk about someone who was benched while being undefeated, had not lost a game this year, and lost his job. Nick Foles came in, there was a spark, the spark went away, Mitch came back in, and Bears really need to find out what they have in Mitch Trubisky, and if he is the guy or not. Remember, two years ago, almost two years ago to the day, just the other day, was when the Bears, who were 12-4 and in the regular season, lost on the double doink in the playoffs. So, the double doink, everybody remembers it. Cody Parkey, field goal to win the game, hits a left upright, hits the center in between the uprights, and then bounces out and they lose. And the look on Matt Nagy's face, I'll never forget. So here's an opportunity for retribution. You're in the playoffs, you're taking on the Saints, and time to show that you belong. I don't know if the Bears are there yet. I don't think their defense is what it was a couple years ago, not even a shell of it. Um, So I think they're going to have problems trying to contain the Saints. We know that Michael Thomas was at practice and he looks like he should be good to go for this weekend as well. So all signs point to the Saints. They honestly could cover the 9.5, but it's a playoff game, and things are much closer in the playoffs, so I'm going to take the Bears to cover the 9.5, which leads us to our final playoff game of Super Wild Card Weekend. Um, 8.15 Eastern on NBC. You've got the Cleveland Browns taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know what's going on with the Cleveland Browns. They have had 18 players in the past two weeks added to the COVID list at the time of this broadcast, so there could be more. Meanwhile, the NFL says there's nothing to see here. We're going to play anyway. The Browns also will be without their head coach, as most people know, as well as other members of the staff. So, it's it's really unfortunate because if Cleveland loses this game, the entire narrative will be around COVID. They didn't have their head coach. They didn't have key personnel and players, and it really obviously affected them, and that's the reason they lost in the playoffs. If Pittsburgh loses this game, the narrative will be total meltdown. How were you 11-0? How did you then win, lose three games in a row, limp into the playoffs, and lose to a team without their head coach and half of their team. So it's really unfortunate. 
2020 going into 2021, it is what it is. COVID, everything we're dealing with. We knew that there would be issues. We talked about it last week on the podcast. It's explicitly why. I told you last week, if I'm Mike Tomlin, Ben Roethlisberger isn't even going to the stadium. He's in a lock box somewhere. He is in a safe room. He is like where they whisk officials away to in designated survivor. Like I would keep everybody so quarantined if they weren't playing in week 17 because make no mistake. We said this is going to happen. It'll happen in the playoffs. It'll happen going up to the Super Bowl. There is going to be a situation where a star quarterback, a head coach, somebody isn't going to be able to play in the game. And the NFL has said, oh, well, tough titties. We're not rescheduling shit. The show goes on. So it's unfortunate that that will be the narrative surrounding that game. Having said that, I hope this is an excellent game because this is AFC North football. This is two great teams. The Browns, hats off to them for everything that they've accomplished this year. And part of me just doesn't want the show to end. I want the show to go on. I want the Browns to go handle business and show that they're not the kid brother anymore in that division, which is an excellent division. And at the same time... I respect Mike Tomlin. I know who he is and what he does with that team and what he's done for years. So I can't see him laying an egg on that stage against a Browns team that should be underprepared and should have a little bit of a disadvantage. Having said all of that, I like the Steelers. They're favored by six. I like them to cover the six. Now, it was six and a half. It moved to six when I last saw it and nabbed it. But who knows what it'll be by kickoff. So you're going to have to check the lines yourself. But I'd say the sooner you jump on that, the better. Because it is probably going to go way more in the Steelers' favor the closer you get to uh, kickoff. But let's take a look at the matchups. So, the Pittsburgh Steelers, we know their defense is nasty. They're number one in the NFL in sacks. They're number one at creating pressure. They're number two at uh, forcing the turnovers. They're the third in scoring D. They're third in yards. They're fifth in third down percentage. This defense is for real. I know that the offensive struggles have existed. I know that the Steelers can't run the ball for shit. We've talked about it. We know it's a problem, but the defense is for real. On the offensive side of the ball, Cleveland has more of the advantage. We look at Cleveland's points per game is 14th. It's not excellent. Pittsburgh is 12th. They're kind of right there on that. Um, But yards per attempt The Steelers are 26th. In just overall offensive efficiency, yards per attempt, Steelers are 26th. Cleveland is 11th. You look at passing yards per attempt, the Steelers are 29th. Almost last in the league. They're the third worst. The Browns are kind of middle of the pack, 15th in that category. Rushing yards per attempt, you already know. Dead last. Steelers 32nd ranked in the league. The Cleveland Browns are 5th. Third down percentage conversion on offense. 
Steelers are 14th. Middle of the pack, Cleveland Browns are a little bit better at 7th. Red zone scoring percentage. This is where you get the points. Steelers are 11th. The Browns are 3rd. 3rd best in the league. So, there's a lot of offensive advantages there with the Browns, but we know obviously what the Steelers' defense brings to the table. Baker Mayfield this year, 26 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, 62.8% completion percent. He's been smart with the football, 223 yards per game. Nick Chubb's 5.6 yard average is second best in the league. Um, His 89 yards per game average is second in the league, which... You know, we we know obviously who first is. Um, I hope I hope it's a good game, and I, and I really hope that you know the narrative. I we know what the narrative is going to be, regardless of what happens in this game. But I just hope for good football. That's all I really wish at the end of all of this is that, unlike what we saw in the last Sunday night football game of the regular season, I hope that we get six really excellent games and we talk about them all week and replay the highlights and and that there's lots of great stuff to go over but um you know i i hope that wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing i hope that you're safe i hope that you're fairly sane i hope that you are within reach of a good bottle of vodka or a bottle of vino and that you are enjoying yourself and The only other people that I would like to talk to right now are the referees in the NFL. Please do not make this weekend about you. Please, please, please do not make this weekend about you. Just stay the fuck out of it. If it's a penalty and it's egregious and you need to call it, then call it. But do not make this weekend about yourself. And I really prevail, like, I I really just hope that in the offseason, at some point, we can get a handle of the NFL refereeing. The eye in the sky needs to come back. The, the There's just so many issues. I don't even want to get into it right now. I want to I wanna end everything on a positive note. So I am positive that we are going to have some excellent football this weekend. I really appreciate you guys for joining us. Remember, follow us on Twitter, at RegulatorsPod. We just gave away another signed jersey, and we have another one coming up this week. So, make sure you're following us on Twitter, because the jersey that we're giving away this week, ooh, it's bigger than anything we've ever done. So, stay tuned. Thank you for joining us. You know how we go out every single week. To all my regulators around the world, let's get it. Regulators! Regulators!